Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and uh, thanks for joining another episode of Tactical Toolbelt Climate Tech, where we talk to people on the front lines of decarbonizing the built environment. And today we have the fantastic opportunity to chat with Natalie Ter, who is the SVB of Innovation, uh, Sustainability and Social Impact at Hudson Pacific Properties, or you might know them as, uh, as Hudson or HPP. Um, thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Thanks for having me. So, Natalie, maybe before we jump into um, you know what it is that you do on a day-to-day basis and uh, all of the in- incredible stuff you're working on at at Hudson, um, I love to hear a little bit about people's backgrounds and how they sort of got to where they are, and especially how they got on this climate journey and sort of realized that maybe we should save the planet. Um, yeah. So, so how did you get here? <laughs> You know, I've been in environmental work my whole career. I came out of college really passionate about environmental issues and worked for a large engineering firm working on water infrastructure projects in the American West. Um, I went to grad school for environmental management. And and then I joined PricewaterhouseCoopers. At the time, it was called their sustainability services team and was essentially an early ESG strategy consulting operation within the broader PwC engine. And And I was there for nine years. And over that time, I did a lot of um, strategy and operations consulting, traditional management consulting projects for big Fortune 500 companies, but always with an ESG bent. Um, I also did a lot of tech strategy and implementation projects along the way as well. So which that that combination led me to my current role at Hudson, where I lead um, ESG and our work around innovation and prop tech. Yep, got it. Uh, fascinating background. Um, okay, I do have to check something off the box here before we dive into the discussion, because I think we might get into some somewhat technical terms here that to someone like yourself, to chief sustainability officers might be very straightforward, but to a bunch of our layperson uh, lay listeners might not be as familiar with the jargon. So just wanted to run everybody through a little bit of a glossary on some of the terms uh, that we might be using. Um, the first is around scopes for carbon emission. And um, when you're thinking about how many emissions of CO2 and CO2 equivalents does my business or does my building spit out, there are some standard ways that we think about these and we talk about them. And they're spoken about as scope one, scope two, and scope three. Um, So what are these? You should think of scope one as any of the direct emissions that are coming out of my business or my building that are directly created right there. So in in the real estate world, typically, this is any of the um, emissions from the natural gas that you're using to heat or cool that building right on site, right? But obviously, that isn't the full impact of all of the um, all of the emissions from that building. So scope two takes into account then any indirect emissions that are coming from energy going into that building, but that is generated somewhere else, 
right? So think of indirect emissions typically here is going to be any electricity going into your building might be coming from a coal powered plant that is, you know, 20 miles away. You're going to take into account the indirect emissions out of that coal power plant as well. So think of scope one is the stuff that's happening directly on site. Scope two, all of the indirect things that are happening offsite. Um, and typically scope one and scope two are pretty good. However, there is scope three, which um, is really seen as kind of the gold standard here because scope one and scope two don't take into account everything that uh, all of the emissions that this building might be accounting for. Um, and so the way to think about scope three is everything upstream that went into the building at some point in time. So think here about the actual uh, concrete, the steel, the glass, um, all of the furnitures and fixtures inside that building, those had to be produced somewhere. They might've been produced on the other side of the planet um, at some point in time. And the production of those ultimately released some CO2 at, the, at that point in time, right? So um, think of when we're talking about how do you account for CO2, scope one, direct stuff inside your building, scope two, the indirect energy that's going into your building, but maybe is generated elsewhere. And then scope three are uh, all of the embedded embedded carbon emissions that are in all of the materials that end up inside that building. Um, okay, one other item on the glossary is just how we talk about different frameworks and goals. Um, so you hear people bandy around the idea, you know, net zero, or we're going to be LEED certified, or we're going to be GRESB, or, or all of these things. What do they all mean? Um, typically, what most people are talking about is there was a Paris Climate Agreement. It was a couple of years ago. Um, and the whole world agreed that we were going to try and keep global warming down to around about one and a half degrees. Now, what that actually means for businesses is you actually need some goals to go and set for what does that mean in terms of cutting back my carbon emissions. And um, so there's a group that came out of the Paris Agreement that's known as uh, the Science-Based Targets Initiative, SBTIs. Um, and their standard is what is generally uh, thought of as the gold standard when it comes to talking about carbon zero goals. Inside the real estate world, um, specifically, the most common one, which accords to the SBTIs, is something known as the uh, World Green Building Council's um, standard. And you hear this mentioned as uh, GBC, typically. Um, the important thing to note here is that GBC typically uh, signs people up to get scope one and scope two down to net zero by 2030. Okay, and with that aside on glossary, back to actually interesting conversation here with Natalie. Hudson has got some very aggressive decarbonization goals and, and ESG goals uh, broadly. So what are those goals and why are they different and or more stringent than uh, what most of the rest of the industry is doing? Yeah, so we... Uh, we hit net zero carbon in all of our operations last year. We, we had a goal to hit it by 2025. Um, and, and we felt that was a, a very ambitious goal. We were a member of the World GBC Net Zero um, Coalition that you mentioned. And the timeline they're talking about is 2030. So we were like, we're going to be more ambitious than that. We'll do 2025. And then honestly, what happened it, it is largely tied to the COVID pandemic. We saw that we were going to need to run our buildings longer and harder, the HVAC systems longer and harder than before. And we really didn't want our energy use to go up and bring our 
carbon emissions up with it. So we were like, we, we need to decouple these completely soon. And so, so we brought our whole strategy forward by five years. So we hit net zero last year. Um, and there's, I'm glad you talked about, you know, a lot of the um, terminology here, cause it, it is complicated. Um, you know, the word net is important because we, we still have, you know, we're still using, we still have plenty of scope one emissions. We're, we're using natural gas to heat most of our buildings. That's creating, you know, a lot of emissions and we can't just stop using that gas overnight. So we, we purchase, for example, purchase offsets to bring those scope one emissions down to zero. Um, so, so that's why we, we say net zero. Um, one thing that is important for us though, is, is also, we say net zero carbon in operations because we want to be clear, it's, it's scope one and two that are net zero for us. Um, we're, we're not claiming to be net zero in our whole supply chain, upstream and downstream. Scope three is a whole different animal. Um, so I guess with those caveats, we're still really proud because I, I think we're right, right now one of only a small number of landlords globally who've, who've hit net zero in, in all scope one and two categories. Um, our, our new goal, um, we, have, we have a bunch of goals and... Um, but the main one is a, a science-based goal that aligns with SBTI to uh, reduce our absolute emissions 50% by 2030. That's aligned with the, the Paris Agreement and many of the leading um, climate standards out there. And, and basically, we're saying we, we want to transit. We don't want to rely on offsets forever. We want to reduce the absolute emissions by, for example, moving away from natural gas or reducing the energy that we're using or installing more on-site renewables. So we do have um, a plan to do that in place. And, and collectively, hopefully that brings us down at least 50% um, by 2030. Yep. So so that's incredible. I mean, you you beat, beat your first goal by by five years and now you're, you're sort of deciding to, to go above and beyond. Um, I think it is very critical for people to understand uh, maybe just how far offsets can get you and where the shortcomings are. Because um, you know, you're saying, right, offsets aren't going to get us there, and, and therefore we, we actually want to decarbonize uh, the rest of the, the business, the underlying business. We can't just rely on offsets. Why can't you just rely on offsets? Yeah, well, I mean, if that's all we did, if you think about it happening at the national level, there's no way we'd stay within the one and a half degrees that we need to. Um, so at the most macro level, we've got to reduce the actual emissions that we're spewing into the sky every day. Um, that said, we're, we're never, I mean, the math is daunting. Um, and so it's, you know, it's also, it's unreal. It's not the right thing to just rely on offsets to get us out of this, but it's also not the right thing to say that there's no place for offsets because it'll it'll be really hard for us to hit the targets we need to hit without using offsets at least for some pieces of the, the economy. Yeah, so it, it, I think the way that people should be thinking about it is it's a, it's a short term means to an end, but in the long term you do actually have to decarbonize the underlying business. But in the in the short term you can use uh, you can use offsets to get there. One one of my favorite little sort of factoids and offsets is. If you take all the companies that have signed net zero pledges and add up all of the offsets that they claim they're going to buy and the ways that they're going to do it, many people are planning on doing this through uh, you know, growing trees and forests. The total amount of landmass we need to hit everybody's offsets is more than the surface of the earth. Um, so I think some part of this is, is not going to check out at some point. Um, but OK, so um, let's maybe talk about two things. 
what did you do in order to actually hit the goal so far? So what were some of the, the immediate tactical things that you did? And then after that, let's talk about some of the things that are for your next bogey for hitting that 50% true absolute reduction. But but so far, what did you do to, to hit the, the 2025 goal that you had five years early? Yeah, I mean, the, the first one is, is, and I give all the credit to the whole team here at Hudson who's, who's been here long before me is, is really focused on energy efficiency. And, and I should also say, like, we're in such a better position to do this than most other companies. You know, we're all West Coast. We're all Class A commercial office buildings. Almost all of them are very modern, like 15 years old-ish or, or uh, we've got or, or recently renovated. We've got a lot of, you know, creative media tech tenants, Amazon, Google, Netflix, who share our commitments to sustainability. So, so A, take this all with a giant grain of salt that it's easier for us than a lot of other landlords. Um, but the, the main thing, the first thing we did and what everyone should start with is just, you know, minimize your energy use. I mean, that saves you money. It's like, it's a no brainer. Um, and our team, to their credit, has been doing that for years and years and years. We've got 80% of our portfolio or office portfolio is LEED certified. 71% is Energy Star certified. Now, we're, we're hyper efficient, um, all things considered. Um, and, and as you know, you know, we work with Fifth Wall on a lot of our prop tech and innovation initiatives. So we, we've, we've constantly got a pipeline of other technologies where we're looking at to help us be more and more efficient. Um, we also are invest- have um, on-site renewables in some places, and, and we, we could have more, but we, we do have some work there. Um, and then the, we, we do a lot. Our biggest impact really is around energy procurement, you know, the electricity that we buy. What plans do we, how do we partner with local utilities? What plans do we enroll in? Do we pay the premium for green power plans? The answer to that is yes at many properties and, and no at others. Um, and that's a really property by property uh, decision. Um, so then we rely on, you know, other financial instruments like RECs to um, basically convert all the non-renewable electricity we buy to renewables. Yep. Got it. Got it. Um, and then how about sort of in the in the pipeline, some of the things that you're thinking about in order to to hit the that 50% sort of real reduction? Yeah. Um, so I alluded to energy efficiency. We, we have a lot of cool um, things in the pipeline there that I'm I'm, I'm really excited about. Although you know we, we've already captured a lot of the low hanging fruit. So to be honest, I think that in, incremental improvements for us are, are going to be kind of around the edges. There's not going to be something major. Um, we where I I think our portfolio does have a lot of room for improvement is on site renewables and energy storage. Um, we're and we're actively working on that at a number of properties and with a number of partners to figure out how we do that. I mean, the challenge is it, it takes a lot of time and energy um, to get those projects up and running. So, so we want to do it, but you know, even the best case scenario, they're, they're never going to power an entire property. It's going to be a small percentage of the property's energy needs. So, so we're, we're doing it. It's the right thing to do. Um, and we can make money off it in, in most cases, but it, it's never going to be the only answer. Um, so, so we're also looking at a lot of um, other industry partnership opportunities to help advance um, bigger uh, and scalable solutions that we need. You mentioned offsets. We're really interested in helping to advance the the offset community so that they're better quality, more more scalable offset and carbon removal technologies out there. Yep, yep, got it. Um, 
But I, I think you alluded to something here, like putting solar on the roof, like this actually could be a revenue opportunity. Clearly, your sort of overall management and therefore the board of the company and the investors in the company are, are kind of bought into this. But what is the value that, uh, you know, given that you're doing it all, what is the value that they're seeing? Is this just driven ethically or is there some other, other reason why, why they want you to do all of this stuff? Well, that's another reason why. Uh, we have it easier. I mean, it, it helps when your CEO and board are all like, you know, like West Coast folks who love surfing and hiking and, you know, they love the outdoors and they're personally committed to it. That really helps. Um, but, you know, we wouldn't do it if it wasn't, wasn't good business. Um, and so because of the type of business we have, it's like we, we all are bought into the idea that being a leader on sustainability is, is good for our business. There's uh, this positive feedback loop. We think it differentiates us with tenants, helps us build stronger relationships and um, differentiate in the market. We think it helps us with investors. We think it helps us attract top talents. I mean, you you name it. We, we think it's in general good for all of our all aspects of our business. And then that, that's kind of the top line argument. But but there's also, you know, a risk mitigation argument, too, and that the, the jurisdictions we're in are really aggressive, our local jurisdictions around building decarb rules. I mean, Vancouver's got some of the most ambitious rules on the table they're considering right now. We've already seen rules from Seattle, San Francisco, San Jose, um, other jurisdictions that we're in that are um, way further ahead than most of the rest of the U.S., for example. And so we need to, we want to stay ahead of them. Yep, yep, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so I think we we can probably give you give you an A grade on what you've done to date. Uh, I think maybe our whole industry is maybe sitting at a you know generously a B minus, if not a C. Um, what more could the whole industry uh, be doing looking forward? You know, I think we're going to see a lot more of the the net zero um, conversation we were just having around scope one and two. I think what we've done is, is differentiated today. I don't think it will be differentiated in three, four, five years from now. Um, I, I think the next frontier is, is in the scope three realm and the, the biggest category for real estate is embodied carbon. So the, the carbon that's embodied in the materials we use to, to build these, all of our structures, but for us in particular, I mean, we're building large commercial office towers in many cases. There's a lot of steel, there's a lot of concrete. Um, there's a, that's a huge piece of the, the global carbon footprint. So, and, and that's an area where the, the industry as a whole is still in very early innings. There's a lot to be learned there. Um, we're, we're leaning into it hard and, um, and, a, and a handful of our big tenants are as well. Um, big tech is really um, probably the most sophisticated around this topic, but um, there, there's still huge room for improvement there. Yep. Fantastic. Um, yeah. So I, I think we can learn a lot from how far you guys have come. Um, us as an industry can can definitely do better. Uh, there seems to be some light on the horizon here. There are new technologies coming coming out that are, are going to help this uh, sort of happen faster for everybody. Um, but I, I think everybody should just keep in mind that People are achieving this, right? It's not such a daunting problem that uh, uh, you you should have failure to execute because clearly people like Hudson are executing on this. Um, what uh, 
to to a, to a large extent, a lot of people uh, actually often feel like this is such a large problem that you kind of get frozen, right? Um, what would you just generally say to people on like how hopeful are you that that us as an industry are going to get there? We're going to decarbonize this industry. Um, yeah, how how do you feel? I have vacillated between you know the extremes of hope and despair on this subject over the course <laughs> of my career. Um, I am more hopeful these days um, at the moment, and and I think that's because I'm, we're all seeing um, the pressure around climate and the build at. at the federal government at the international level and in the private sector, honestly, the private sector has led investors. I mean, credit to big inst- institutional investors have been pushing on this issue without stopping for years. And, and that is, is shifting the, the capital markets. And, and I think we're seeing huge changes. So we're, you know, it makes business sense for us to, and we, we have to invest in sustainability and building decarb. As I said, we've got a more unique business model in the real estate world, but um, increasingly it's going to make more and more business sense for for all big owners and managers to do this going forward. Yep, absolutely. Um, Noel, fantastic. Thank you very much for spending the time with me. Um, Always good to see someone who who is doing stuff out on the front lines um, and actually achieving the goals that they've set themselves. I think we're all a little bit too used to people saying we're going to make it by you know 2020, and then that gets bumped to 2025, and then that gets bumped to 2030. Right? Uh, it's, it's very rare to hear someone going in the other direction. So very heartening. Um, thanks very much for spending the time with us. Um, where can people find you or or more about uh, Hudson Pacific? You can find me, Natalie Tier on LinkedIn, or you can find Hudson Pacific at HudsonPacificProperties.com um, and, or on also LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, all the social media channels. Sounds good. No, thank you very much for the time. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com. <laughs>